We're not asking people to completely forget what happened. There's yeah. a there's a real need and structure for rebuilding trust in the relationship, yeah. but we have to direct them towards receiving grace. It's the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son believed this lie that, you know, um, God will forgive me, but I will never really be welcomed back in. Mm -hmm. I can't be in right relationship with my father again. Yeah. And that's demonic, yeah. right? So we guide the couple towards abounding in grace, right? Yeah. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more, right? So when there's repentance and confession, then we're helping the couple move towards what it actually looks like to rebuild the trust in their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship. Many of the episodes of this show that we've done deal with the topic of biblical counseling, and, and often we'll have conversations dealing with people's emotions and their thought life and their patterns that they've developed that are incongruent with what the Word of God says. And so we've talked through a lot of those issues. In fact, here at the uh, Living Faith Bible Institute, we offer quite a few classes on the topic of biblical counseling. It's a big deal to us. And so we're always glad to sit down and have these conversations on the postscript and, and give you insight and then to, to help you a little bit more in terms of furthering your knowledge and your ability to counsel through the issues that we face in human life. And one of the topics we talk about on this show from time to time is marriage. And uh, as scripture teaches us, marriage is very, very important to God. It is, in fact, the first institution that he put in place in Genesis. And, uh, and from that marriage relationship, Adam and Eve uh, produced all of the offspring of humanity uh, throughout all of time. And, and from that marriage relationship, we see families built, we see uh, discipleship take place, we see the fruitfulness uh, of worship um, uh, cultivated and kindled within that context. And so it's very important to God that a marriage relationship be right. Not only that, uh, but the bride is a picture of the church, as we know from Ephesians chapter 5, and, and we know that, that Christ is the bridegroom. He is the husband. And so our relationship in marriage has everything to do with the way in which we depict Christ to the world. And so it has to be, it has to be right. It has to be protected and loved and cherished and, and built up the right way. Now, on the show, a lot of times we talk about what it looks like to counsel people who are struggling through different areas. And so today we're going to talk about what does it look like for us as believers, as Bible believers, to counsel people through difficulties in their marriage relationships? How do we use the Word of God to encourage the right things, to build, new, uh, to build good patterns, and to uh, produce good marriages within the context of our local churches? And so with that and for that, I have invited John Kindler onto the show. John is the professor, the faculty professor of the Biblical Counseling Program here at LFBI. He's a teaching elder at Midtown Baptist Temple, and he is married with two kids. So he actually has some experience a little bit. in real life, real yes. time. Mm -hmm. So John, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Good to have you here. Yeah, it's good to be here. Um, we're going to get right into it. Let's go. Are you good with that? I think so. Um, why is marriage counseling so important to the work of the church? Why, why is this such an important thing for the church to be aware of 
to be ready uh, mm-hmm. to to um, affect and to um, care about. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of what you said, Brandon, like um, you were talking about how uh, significant marriage is to God and how marriage is the bedrock of family and family is the bedrock of the body of Christ. And there's so many incredible pictures of, of marriage throughout um, you know, our relationship with God. And so it's, it's so foundational to who we are. And I think even as we talk about marriage, um, it's important, you know, I'm thinking about the listeners, people are watching that they may not be married, um, but marriage is so significant to our world that it, it permeates every, you know, situation, relational dynamic that we have. So whether you're married or, you know, um, or you're not, or you're hoping to be, or wherever you're at as it relates to marriage, uh, you are going to come in contact with marriage. Mm-hmm. And so understanding it from God's perspective and knowing how to navigate it biblically is super important for us as the body. Yeah. I think for a lot of people um, who desire to counsel, desire to invest, counseling marriages is particularly intimidating. It's mm-hmm. daunting. It's difficult. And I think giving people the tools necessary um, to engage in, in marriage counseling is very, very important to people having confidence. So what are the steps necessary when we're talking about biblical counseling and we're mm-hmm. setting a foundation for biblical counseling in general? Sure. What are the things that people need to know? Well, the whole goal of biblical counseling is to reorient the the couple or the individual uh, that is opposing themselves to uh, see their pain from uh, God's perspective. So we go to 2 Timothy 2.24. So we have our role, which is just to be apt to teach patient. Mm-hmm. And then we're trusting God to pre-adventure, give them opportunity for repentance so that they can recover themselves from the snare of the devil. And in that, when we Um, meet with people, they have moved into a mode of self-preservation. And our whole goal is to move them, to shift them towards God glorification. So Mm -hmm. there's three main stages that we take people through. We first are working to investigate what's happening in their life. And this leads to us being able to translate. So we're taking what God's word says about what's happening in their life and we translate it, we interpret it so they can understand it. And that moves us into the final stage of applicating. So we investigate, translate, and applicate. Mm-hmm. And those are just words that you know we've come up with uh, for the intro to biblical counseling and lab, just to give some context for how we move people from the stuckness that they're in, how they're opposing themselves, to see the snare of the devil, and then to give them um, biblical tools to applicate in their life so mm-hmm. they can recover. Yeah. Yeah. So there are two, you know, uh, really broad approaches that we take. You know, I think what's common in biblical counseling, or at least the stereotype of biblical counseling, is that it's very confrontational. Mm-hmm. But we present it in two ways. It is confrontational because sure. the Bible does confront the issues of our life. And if, right. the, if therapy or if um, counseling doesn't include some form of confrontation, there'll be nothing to correct. There'll be no way of correcting right. the wrongs yeah. or the errors in, in our behavior, our thought life. So, so confrontation is critical, and the Bible does do that, and we need to know how to do that. We also talk about comfort, mm-hmm. uh, how we're supposed to comfort those 
who oppose themselves. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to be that peaceable agent that is there to love them and to show them that they're accepted unconditionally by the Father and, right. and that he's given them everything they need to move forward in faith. And so let's talk about these two areas because they're really important to how we approach people in um, in biblical counseling. Right. So just in general, we can, we'll dig into both of those stages, but when you meet with specifically a couple for the first time, um, they're both um, suffering and sinning, you know? So you, if you think about the complex dynamic of a relationship, mm -hmm. um, you know, they're harming one another by their own sin. Like, so they're harming each other. So there's suffering, but then there's a, a natural negative like cycle that's kind of playing out in their relationship that's producing uh, sin and suffering, sin and suffering. So we want to step in and comfort them, right? So in their suffering, while also working towards being able to confront the sin that's yeah. in the relationship. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So let's talk a little bit about the what comforting looks like in this setting. And I know we're going to continue to talk about this primarily in terms of the mar marriage relationship, sure. counseling marriages. So what does it look like to comfort those who are struggling or suffering in their mm -hmm. relationship with one another? Yeah. So first we need to kind of understand uh, how a couple can devolve into this tension that, that plays mm -hmm. out. So um, when we're sitting with a couple that is suffering, we want to comfort them. We want to join them in what's happening. And so I think a passage that's helpful to understand what, what's happening is in James chapter four. And we can, I think it'd be helpful just to kind of walk through the first part yeah, of let's do that. that passage. So it says in James uh, chapter four, verse one, from whence come wars and fighting among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? Okay. Mm -hmm. So this gives us direction in understanding why marital conflict is a thing. So um, I know you're a big fan of Taylor Swift. Um, she's <laughs> yeah, got, I'm a Swifty. She's, you're a Swifty. She's, yeah, she's right. had a lot of hot takes over the years. The most recent you know, thing that she said in one of her songs, I, I haven't followed it, but I've I heard- I don't know a single song. Well, I'm, I'm I, I could to, not name a, sing, a single Taylor Swift song. I'm here to you're drop- You're help me with this? Yes. Okay, drop some some- Swift truth. So I don't, I don't know much about her, but I do know that I think one of her latest singles, it, she says, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. Okay, so mm. she's becoming increasingly more self-aware that she right. is the problem. And, and that's, I mean, that's actually the truth in our, in our marriages, right? It's like mm -hmm. we have to recognize that there's a warring in our members. It's like, oh, right. I'm the problem in my marriage. And so you know, we're working to get both individuals to see that they individually are mm -hmm. the problem in the relationship. Mm -hmm. When you meet with a couple for the first time, they're so beat up by one another. And we talked about this a little bit in our last uh, time together when we were talking about marriage, where we were saying it's like, um, what causes, the, what's the root issue of all marital tension? And we see it in the garden, you know, uh, Genesis 3, you know, uh, Satan comes into the, the garden, he tempts Eve, she sins, right? She pulls Adam into it. So there's this shame. Um, Satan wants us to hate ourselves. And then to offload the amount of weight that that shame is, we move into blame. And we see mm -hmm. Adam blaming Eve and God, right? So yeah. we see this happening in marriages all the time. We feel this self-loathing and then we offload it onto our spouse. So mm -hmm. we want both of them to see not 
this uh, accuser of the brethren shame, like living in shame, but being able to see that we are exceedingly sinful, that Mm -hmm. within us dwelleth no good thing and being able to hold that. And so we keep reading verse two, you lust and you have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, you fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. So then we go to war in our own unique ways. And this can be like the, the, the outcome of that shame and blame. So it could be overt or covert manipulation, but mostly it's just trying to get that other person to meet our need rather than turning to God and having yeah. those needs met yeah. the way they intended. Fix them so that the yeah. suffering ends. If, I, yes. if this person yeah. could fix... So it's like there's this dynamic where on one hand, the person hasn't recognized that they're actually part of the problem. Right. It takes two to tango. Um, but on the other hand, as they offload that shame and frustration on their spouse... Mm-hmm. Their hope is that they have or that God would fix them Mm -hmm. because there's a selfish motivation that things would unfold the way they want them to. Right. This marriage, and and that's what we often see is that um, we enter into marriage with a false expectation that it's going to complete us in some way. Mm-hmm. And it's really actually the next opportunity for sanctification. You know, it's mm-hmm. about us surrendering for God's glory, right? So when we get that backwards, we're warring and fighting. We can keep reading. It mm-hmm. says in verse three, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. So our pleading with the Lord is amiss because our motivations are selfish, right? Yeah. It's, it's a, it's not about God's glory. It's about me. So our marital issues are actually rooted in a, a heart issue, right? There is a heart disease there. And then first four, verse four, it says, "Ye adulterers and adulteresses know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So the root issue of all marital conflict is this spiritual adultery, right? We, we're putting, we're idealizing uh, our spouse in a way. We're expecting them to be something that only God is supposed to be. And so w- there's there's this adulterous heart that's happening on a, on a root level. And so uh, mm-hmm. we become essentially false worshipers, mm-hmm. you know? So I think it's important to understand, um, you know, we can even jump down to verse six. Uh, we want to provide a comfort and direct our couples to this. It says, but he gives more grace. Okay, so wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So our couples must have humble hearts to receive the truth. And in order to get to that place of humility, we we have to to join them in the in the pit that they're in. Yeah. For them to be able to to soften. And so essentially it looks like I would I would break down um, comforting into two subsets. Okay. So when I'm meeting with a couple for the first time, the first thing that I'm working to do is to fortify their relationship and in the comforting stage. So fortifying and then fostering. So I'm fortifying, I'm trying to um, build in some uh, structure, some compassion for the, you know, all the defenses and the strategies that they've built in to self-preserve. We need those walls to come down so they can actually receive the truth. Mm -hmm. And then we're fostering the truth. So we're going to, I'll walk through that a little bit, but I think of marriage a lot of times, like, you know, we see in the book of Nehemiah, it's like, uh, it's a city without walls, you know? So our marriage can be a fortress. It can be a a haven. It can be a place of safety and security. Um, it can be a place of a position of purpose 
or it can be um, this city without walls, yeah. right? And and so we want to, like Nehemiah, we need to we need to help rebuild the walls for mm-hmm. uh, that marriage. One of the questions that I have, I think it's worth addressing, is you know a lot of times uh, a biblical counselor, with all the right intentions, will will go into a setting like this. They will start the investigation process and then they'll draw really quick conclusions. They'll mm-hmm. they'll make the mistake of maybe subconsciously even taking sides where one yeah. person seems more at fault than the other person. And so uh you're you you know you don't set out to do it, but you unintentionally come mm-hmm. to the aid of one over the other. Then you right. become condemning. And that makes this whole comforting process fall apart because you aren't truly empathizing and you're not trying to meet both people where they're at. Um, in their suffering and mm. in their sin. So wh- what do you say to that? Yeah, so there's a, there's a bit of a dance in it. I mean, we have to first and, force, first and foremost know that um, both individuals are sinners and mm-hmm. have fallen short of the yeah. glory of God. And typically, th- this is kind of stereotypical, but usually the, there's an overt uh, offense and a covert offense, yeah. right? So in the marriage, there's one individual who tends to be more overtly sinful to, than the other. Like their sin is easy to point out. Yeah. We could we could use like the stereotype of a husband who lashes out in anger and then um, covertly, so implicitly, the wife may um, have some form of pharisaical like pride um, and resentment that, that grows in her heart. So the husband's anger is like a volcano where, and, 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 you know, it's more like wrath, right? Mm-hmm. And we can be angry and sin not, right? But if we let it, um, if we don't, if we go to sleep on it, right? If we don't tend to it, then it can start to corrode from the inside and it can look like a volcano or it can look like, I think, I think of the picture of like, um, of a hot spring, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, you can, you can't see the effects of it, but you can feel it. It just kind of oozes and permeates. And so a lot of times, um, you know, say like a, a, a wife, she will have this, um, permeating resentment and bitterness that oozes out of her and passive aggression or... So that only we, promotes more explosive behavior absolutely. from him. And this could work vice versa. You're just yeah, using yeah, yeah. male and female as an sure. example. But but it, but the idea is that the explosiveness in one, per, in one person establishes a cycle of bitterness in the other. Right. That bitterness and resentment, it manifests itself in subtle ways right. perhaps, but nonetheless, it provokes in the other person right. more explosive behavior. And so they just can't get on the same page. Mm-hmm. And so for the counselor, they're looking at the situation and they're saying, well, the overt sin mm-hmm. seems to be the most um, damnable, sure. right? And that is the, that's the person who is at greater fault. Mm-hmm. And so then they focus their attention and energy on addressing that person versus holistically addressing the entirety right. of the problem. Right. So you'll see it in, in it, uh, like when you're sitting with a couple and it, and it starts to play out in front of you. And we've talked about, you know, in, in our, I think our last postscript, we were talking with when it was on marriage, we were talking about how we want to get the couple engaging with one another in front of us and how uncomfortable mm-hmm. that is. Well, if you really are getting the couple to engage, you're going to start to see that play out. You'll see in, in our example, the husband lashing out, lashing out in anger and the wife will start to implicitly resent and it'll ooze out. And so we want to be able to see both sides of that and team with the relationship, right? So that's the, when you're uh, working with a couple, you're always teaming with, for the marriage. You're, mm-hmm. you're aligning with the marriage, not either of the spouses, right? right? Yeah. So that's the main, uh, 
way to stay on track with that is to say, I'm siding with God and he is for this marriage. And so it would be, you know, it would be distressing on their relationship for me to align with one over the mm-hmm. other. Yeah, that's good. So then back to the fortifying and fostering. Yeah. What does it look like once you have that mindset established that you're working towards the good of the marriage, which is towards the good of God, mm-hmm. then you can begin to to do the work of fortifying. You're talking about the significance of protecting and fortifying the, the marriage yeah. relationship. So, I mean, when I think of fortifying, they need to be strengthened and supported and sustained. So right now the relationship is so fragile that, um, you know, we want to get them to a place where they're stable, right? So we're joining with the hurt couple and, you know, we're noticing that they're hurt and they're hurting and they're both doing this. And so Mm -hmm. that, like we're just described, that could manifest in different ways. Like their hurt can manifest in hurting the other person, but we're starting to notice the cycle. So um, with the fortifying and fostering, we are, we're taking this observant role to really investigate what's going on here. We want to understand what's going on here. And so practically, the counselor joins to help guide them to this uh, out of a fragile state into a state of being fortified. So we get to, the, we get to um, um, bringing them to talk in our presence. Uh, we are prayerfully looking for that pattern. So what's really happening here? Uh, we share what we are observing with them. So we're trying to give mm-hmm. feedback to them to really see, is this exactly what's happening? And then we model for them what it looks like to engage in a loving biblical way. So uh, we empathize with each spouse, uh, the pain that they're experiencing, and we're hoping that their offense will then shift to their own sin and instead of yeah. their offense being with one another. Yeah, and to that, you know, I think it's, you were talking about um, the idea of of getting them to a place of stability. How, how important is, like when the counselor has a really proper assessment, mm-hmm. when they can hear what's in, through the investigation process, they hear what's going on in the relationship, and they can articulate it with words. Mm-hmm. They can simply put words to, to mm-hmm. what they're feeling. How powerful is that in the comforting process and the fortifying process for them to create that stability just by simply knowing, yeah. oh wait, what you just said, that's the issue that I didn't know I had. Like the, right. the fact that there's a diagnosis. Absolutely, well, if you think, um, you know, think about like how anxiety works, it's typically, um, Anxiety is we don't really know what's happening in our mm-hmm. bodies, right? So um, when we don't understand what's happening, it produces anxiety, it produces fear. And so just for us to help wrap words around what's happening in the relationship to say, this is the issue, right? This is where we're starting. So we can then redirect to where we need to go. We need to reorient them to what God's word says, but we can't reorient them if we don't know where they're at, yeah, right? Yeah. So helping them wrap words around that's helpful. And the, the best way to do that is, you know, in order to know how they're opposing themselves, we need to see them oppose themselves. I, I think about it like, you know, if you had a piece of metal, um, in order to mold it into something, you need to heat it up, you know? Mm-hmm. And with couples, they typically um, engage in one of two ways, kind of like these polarizing ways. So they're either so cold towards one another that you can't bend, you can't mold it, right. and, or they're so heated up that it's like, you know, if you heat metal up, it just becomes a puddle. It's right? not malleable. Right, it just liquefies. Mm-hmm. So we're working to try to find, you know, that window of tolerance where they we heat them up enough. So we want them to really turn, turn towards one another and to address their issues in front of us so that we can go, 
this is where you're opposing yourself. Yeah. Right? Or, you know, we need to cool them down if they're so volatile that they can't yeah. even hear each other. We want to cool it down. Man, and what you're saying, though, this is this is a thing that you get better at with practice, you know, in terms of your counseling. Because mm -hmm. what you're saying is finding a, you're sitting down in a room with two people. And if they won't even engage each other. Yeah. Well, it's your job as the counselor. Now, you can't make them. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. We recognize that people have a free will. They get to decide. But if they're there and they want to meet, you do have to find a way to get them to engage with mm -hmm. one another to the mm -hmm. point where uh, the, the, the relational dynamic of the counseling setting um, produces a malleable, you know, um, right. setting. Right. But you also can't afford to let it erode to toxic and loud sure. fighting in the con. You got, you've got to protect the setting enough to keep it from turning into finger pointing and yelling right. and and there's that's a that is a delicate balance. It is, um, and the, I think the authority of your position is part of the key there. Right. So that's where fortifying comes in. Um, you know, it's it's so important to build that um, relationship with them at first to for them to know that hey, whatever happens here, I'm for you. Like I'm my my whole you know goal here is to be. Uh, a support to your marriage in Jesus name, mm -hmm. you know, and that's why I'm here. And so you can trust and we build that trust so that when there is an opera or a need for me to challenge them, when that, when that mm -hmm. comes about, then they're able to receive it. So we move through the fortifying and then the fostering really is giving them perspective of what God's word says about the relationship. And then that moves us into confronting, which we're kind of jumping into that. So yeah, yeah. if, if I were needing to um, get a couple to engage in a way that they're not, I'm going to start challenging them based on what's happening in the room. And this is where we move into the confronting, right? So um, the next stage, there's two kind of pieces to confronting. There's forgiveness and then facilitating. So we're working to get them to forgive one another. In order to forgive, we have to point out sin. Yeah. And so kind of what you're describing, you know, it's like sometimes I have to stir the pot a little bit. Hey, I can't believe you're speaking to your wife this way, mm. right? So, you know, this is the way that you're speaking to her is grievous to me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's a, that's a challenge to bring about sin and bringing it into the present. Do you realize how, you know, you're, you know, treating your husband? Do you realize how you're treating your wife? So being able to communicate that brings the sin to the forefront and allows us to work towards reconciliation and that, mm. and the challenge. Yeah. Stage. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I think that's really important. And I think it's important for our listeners to kind of be able to visualize them, themselves in this setting. And so the way you're describing it is actually really important. So, mm -hmm. so as we move into this confrontational stage, give us, give us some of the, the framework. You know, this is often referred to as newthetic counseling. Mm -hmm. um, newthetic essentially means admonishment, warning. Yeah. Um, it, it means it, it's the mechanism, the biblical mechanism to com to confront the issue. Right. Explain that a little bit. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. We're going to pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. Hi, my name is John Scott. I go to Northside Baptist Church in Columbus, Ohio, and I'm an LFBI student. LFBI is spectacular. It's an institute that is taught by pastors as opposed to professors, people who are actually in the ministry with their feet on the ground, in the dirt, making disciples, evangelizing, and actually loving people. And it's the best resource out there for any sort of Bible teaching. 
In my life, I've used many of the classes. One in particular is the evangelism class. After going through the course, I was able to transform by God's grace the whole method and the, and the whole process of the Bible study where it is more evangelistic and we're able to actually reach out to people and then actually study the Bible together. It's something so simple, but man, it's, it's because of LFBI that that changed. Now, now we're able to plug that into an evangelistic ministry that we have out of our church. So I couldn't recommend LFBI more. To enroll for classes, visit lfbi.org. To support LFBI, please visit lfbi.org support. If you've been in the biblical counseling world, you know that word nuthetic. Mm -hmm. it, it means to admonish. We get that from Romans 15, 14. It says that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to also to admonish one another. So um, what we see is that um, we are apt to uh, challenge one another, but Paul also gives us practical uh, ways that we need to do this. What does it look like to admonish? So we need to um, have the indwelling of God's wisdom and with grace, uh, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So mm -hmm. it, there's a, a, our admonishing needs to look a specific way. Yeah. It says uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, it gives us some perspective on how we're discerning our counselee's heart posture. So I, I love this passage because it gives us a lot of clarity on how we engage with different people in the counseling setting. Mm -hmm. So it says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. So warn them there is the same a Greek word, admonish. It's mm. nuthateo. Um, and then confront uh, the feeble-minded and support the weak. Uh, be patient towards all men. So uh, our pastor, Sam, here at Midtown says, um, are, when, when we're looking at someone's heart posture, are they wicked or are they weak? It's the same kind of discerning position for us as the servant of the Lord. Are they, uh, are they uh, do we need to warn them because they're unruly? Do we need to comfort them because they're feeble-minded? This is feeble-minded when you study that out. It's someone who's going through a hardship and they're blinded by their circumstances. Mm -hmm. So this would be someone with anxiety or some sort of trans transitional thing that's happening in their life that's overwhelming them. Well, we're called to comfort that person. And then we support the weak. So people that are weaker, the individuals in our life that um, have hardship that overwhelms them consistently, and we're supposed to be patient and consistent that if it is that they're weak and they're not wicked, then we're to endeavor to continue to care for them. And so it gives us real um, direction mm -hmm. in what confronting should look like yeah. with different individuals. Yeah. And in both instances, correction is taking place. Right. Right. The, the goal is still the same, is that people be corrected and be instructed in righteousness. Right. That's the objective. We're reorienting them to... Right biblical perspective. But what we're talking about here is the approach, right? right. You, we, we are human beings living life with people with, with different forms of besetting sin. Right. Some of those sins arise out of sheer weakness mm -hmm. and, and weakness of mind, weakness of heart, weakness mm -hmm. of circumstance. Yeah. And then we have people that to varying degrees are affected by belligerence right. or a determination to do what's wrong. And so based on where they fit within that kind of that spectrum of behavioral you know, manifestation, we meet them there with the objective of correcting. That's right. Yeah. When you're counseling a couple, 
you could have, you know, the, you know, husband and wife, one could be behaving wickedly and one could be weak. And that can actually be changing as you're talking about different subjects, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're, you know, we're such a mess, right? Mm -hmm. And so it, it feels complex, but we just need to be discerning, like, where is this coming from? Like, what they're saying, how they're behaving, why they're treating each other this way. Yeah. Where is this coming yeah. from right now? Yeah, I really like that. There may be one area of weakness and another area of wickedness yeah. uh, within a, you know, a series of just a handful of sentences or words spoken. Yes. You can see that thing changing and mm. altering, and we have to be discerning. This is, this is why discernment and wisdom is such a critical part Man. of being a counselor. Too many, too many people um, are prepared to admonish because they know a little bit about the Bible, right. but not everyone has the character necessary mm. to counsel. They lack the wisdom and the heart of God. Yeah, man. It, I would, you know, as a father, I we you're constantly admonishing. You know, in this passage, you know, I'm I'm constantly looking to discern what's happening for my son. Mm -hmm. Like where, where is his heart at right now? Because I want to respond based on where he's at. One example that I gave in the, in the counseling class. So my son, he's three years old and he doesn't like wearing a coat, even when it's like freezing cold outside. Mm -hmm. And there's different reasons why, you know, so I'm like, you're wearing your coat outside because it's cold. Sometimes there's a protest and it's a, it's a, a wicked heart. I'm, it's because I want to do what I want to do. And mm -hmm. so that's why he's pushing. Other times it's because um, he doesn't, it's sunny outside. And to him, if it's sunny outside, then it's not cold and he doesn't understand. And so right. I need to comfort him in that. I need to walk him through it. And then there are, he's feeble-minded rather. Right. And then there's other times where he's, he's suffering in some way. So he doesn't want to wear it because the tag on his his jacket was scratching his neck and I understand. So I can yeah, and he always, may or may not have the words to exactly. even articulate that. Yeah. yeah. And he's upset when I'm putting it on him. Mm -hmm. And so those are three different scenarios with three different heart postures. And I can respond, you know, harshly every time dad said, you know, you're yeah. putting your coat on because dad said, and you know, I ultimately want him to obey, but I need to understand what's happening for him on a heart level. And we see that when we're working with, you know, our couples, like, why is this happening for them? I need to be able to speak directly to help them reorient. Mm -hmm. But as the servant of the Lord, I'm not striving. You know, it says in Second Timothy 2.24 that we aren't to strive. That's not only to not strive uh, with them, but also we're not striving within ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So I think about that. Uh, it's so important that we are uh, patient and apt to teach. We're not striving. We're not trying to, hey, I need to get you to understand this right now. I need to be patient, you mm -hmm. know, and wait on the Lord to be ready to speak that truth in, in due season. So, And I think the the when you don't do that, when you treat everything the same, if the only objective is to admonish, you know, Colossians mm. says, you're using the example of a father, Prov uh, father provoke your children, not, not your children to wrath. Mm -hmm. Because there's a way yeah. in which you can approach your children. There's mm -hmm. a way in which you can admonish your children. You might be justified. You mm -hmm. might be right. It, what right. you're saying might be biblical. But if you're doing it in such a way that provokes them to wrath, it only mm -hmm. compounds the problem. It doesn't produce life or grace. Right. The counselor has to take the same approach. If they enter into the relationship as a shepherd and as a father, mm -hmm. and they they are fostering a good relationship, they're, they're helping fortify the relationship, then they should also be ready and willing to admonish or instruct in a way that 
that meets the person where they're at yeah. versus this kind of even heavy handed approach. I know what's right. Here's what's mm. right. This is what you ought to do. You may accidentally take a weak person and provoke them to wrath. Absolutely. You might convert a weak person into a wicked person. I mean, I know that I've done that, yeah. you know, and like just by missing it and you can see, you can see it happen, mm -hmm. you know, which actually, you know, it's like, man, we're human, yeah. you know, it's like, and God uses it. It, I think one of the most powerful um, interventions, if we can call it that, that I've found in a counseling relationship is admitting that I failed to them. You mm -hmm. know, it's like, hey, I think last time I missed it. And we get to model for them um, repentance, like coming to them, asking for forgiveness, mm -hmm. which is so, you know, like what we're not, um, what we're doing here is to, we're trying to get them to see relationships rightly. So even for us to get to model that, but it's true. If, if we're not discerning and we're not careful, we could totally misunderstand uh, what's happening mm -hmm. for a person and and not be a good shepherd for them. Continue to, to share with us um, about this confrontation and, and you even break comp confrontation down into a two-part process, mm -hmm. forgiveness and facilitating. This is so important. I mean, yeah. we're getting kind of more into, things are getting more pointed in the relationship. You've mm -hmm. done the investigating. <clears throat> Right. You're beginning to understand what's taking place here. You've you've established and fostered a good a good rapport with right. who you're working with. Explain uh, this part of the confrontation. Yeah. So um, confrontation is in two parts: forgiveness and facilitating. So the forgiveness is where we would typically think of the newthetic counseling. This like admonishing that you and I've been talking about. So it's where we help the cu couple confront sin. Uh, against God and each other, right? Mm -hmm. So we're really digging in to understand what's happening to move towards reconciliation. So through the comforting, their hearts have uh, have softened, right? Like we're we built this rapport and their hearts are softening. And so they can see from God's perspective. And then we're wanting for them to be able to, to see the fracturing in their relationship uh, as God sees it, that it's, that it's um, horrible, that they've sinned against one another and God. Like mm -hmm. we want to see, uh, we want them to see how um, exceedingly sinful they've been towards one another, yeah. right? And so we can walk, we kind of walk down that path with them. So as the counselor, we're looking to, to assess the damage, right? Mm -hmm. And we can ask a bunch of questions. So when I'm sitting with people and we're starting to turn the corner towards this, I'm asking, you know, where, you know, where has the couple prioritized, um, what how how they prioritize the relationship? Uh, are they working towards intimacy with God, or are they solely just focusing on their own pain? We're looking to see if their relationship is Christ-centered, or if it's about their happiness. Um, we're looking to see if they're actually uh, interested in or working towards their their biblical marital roles. Mm -hmm. Like, how do they view their relationship? Um, what is their leaving and cleaving looked like? Right, like, is there familial issues in their relationship where they haven't left? You know, leaving and yeah. leaving. Yeah. Are, are they treating uh, themselves and each other uh, with shame and blame? That thing that we saw in Genesis three. So we're asking ourselves all these questions. Where is sin in uh, entering into the relationship? So these are all um, prayerful comp um, contemplations, mm -hmm. conversations we're having with God as we start to see the kind of the dance and the cycle that's playing out the relationship. Mm -hmm. So the counselor is looking to then when we see it, we we look to point at the sins, like we're exposing the sin. So what we know about couples, we see in Hebrews 3.13, that um, sin hardens our hearts, right? 
be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, right? So we are meeting with people that have hard hearts. So the comforting is so important to soften their hearts so they can actually own their sin, yeah. right? Yeah. And then we're confronting with care. We're in meekness, right? So if we come towards them with controlled strength, with meekness, we're instructing them like, hey, like, you know, there's some incongruence in your life, right? You're saying that this is what's true about who you are and your marriage, and yet this is kind of how you're behaving. So we're confronting them with care. Mm. And then we're uh, we're not putting people in their place. We don't want to like have these like gotcha moments, like oh, oh yeah, caught you, you know, in your sin. But uh, we're looking to restore them, right? Yeah, because that only makes the shame. It only makes it worse. Yeah, I yeah, yeah I think of because uh, people do get found out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it and man, when you do, when you catch somebody and they really, you can see it on their their face. Yeah. you know, when they really realize like the the exceeding wickedness of what they've been doing it's i mean they're prone to fall into shame and yeah. that's not helpful these right? are these this is like the the equivalent of like a t- i told you so yeah i told yeah, you like, absolutely this yeah. is see 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 this yeah. is who you really are yeah. which is so dangerous because of course that's who they are yeah yeah <laughs> right like and that's who we are yeah galatians exactly. 6 yeah. right it's like you know, if a man be overtaken in fault, you which are spiritual, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. man, we need to be so careful, right? We restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, mm-hmm. considering thyself, lest we also be tempted, right? Like we know that we, there, there's nothing different about us and this person apart from what Christ has done in our life. So we move towards them uh, with a sensitivity and a care. Mm-hmm. And the only reason we would be harsh is because they need uh, to be woken up on some yeah. level, right? Yeah. And so as soon as they're awake, we want to be soft again. We want to um, comfort them and and help them move towards reconciliation. Mm-hmm. So we know we're confronting when um, this leads to a godly sorrow. We yeah. see it in Second Corinthians 7.10, because godly sorrow worketh repentance. And we want to be careful not to move to a worldly sorrow. So there's a, a significant difference between um, guilt so conviction and shame, right? Shame is uh, the tool of the devil. It is He is the accuser of the brethren. Uh, shame essentially is I am bad. And it, it really is a position of pride. Yeah. You know, when you think about shame, it's like you're, so, you're still focused mm-hmm. on you. Whereas guilt is I'm doing something that isn't in line with who I am and who God's made me to be, mm-hmm. right? So guilt is so important. Conviction is so important. So we want to move... Um, them towards that and we leave the convicting to God. So we, we reveal to them. So if God preadventure, you know, we'll give them repentance. So we're presenting the incongruence in their life and we're trusting the Lord to convict them. And we're not interested in, you know, aligning with the enemy to shame them. And what's awesome is when God gets a hold of them, and it's because it's his job, the Holy Spirit and the word of God is the agent of change. It, it actually uh, lets them see their their own sin, whereas shame preoccupies them yeah. with hiding. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and I'm I'm thinking about in Zechariah. There's this instance where um, the the devil is accusing Joshua, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and it's such a powerful, powerful story because essentially God is like um, calling Joshua to remembrance that he's made him clean, and he 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 said put the white garments on him, you know. And I think that's the that's it mm-hmm. paints this beautiful picture because Satan does want to lock us into a position where we think it's impossible to move forward. Mm-hmm. Shame 
creates insurmountable, um, uh, you know, uh, difficulty and and challenge into our life. Like you just can't get over this. There'll, there'll be no mm-hmm. way I'll ever be an, an overcomer. Right. Where when we look to Christ and we see that he's made us new and we see ourselves as a child of God, anything is possible. Even this very yeah. difficult relationship, this trial that we're in. Yeah. We can, God can make this right. Yeah. And that's actually a huge part of this, um, this part, the forgiving part of the comfort and the confronting is that we want, so once they see their sin, we, we guide them in confessing. So there's a biblical way to repent of sinning against God and, and each other. So it's not just a, I'm sorry, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, seeing our, our, our sin and being broken over it and then asking for forgiveness. And it's, there's a process. And I usually take couples to Hosea uh, chapter 14, mm-hmm. one through four. It's a, it just kind of walks you through it. And each verse you can walk through it. I would recommend the listeners just to to go through that. Mm-hmm. But essentially it walks you through what it what a biblical construct of uh, asking for forgiveness. But once you do that, and this this is to speak to the point you're just making, is that we want to help them move towards receiving grace. Yeah. Because what what they're prone for, and this is this plays out in the dynamic of the relationship, is um it's the whole like um, well, I can forgive them, but I can't forget what happened, mm, you know? Mm-hmm. And on some level, that makes sense. We're not asking people to completely forget what happened. There's, yeah. a, there's a real need and structure for rebuilding trust in the relationship, yeah. but we have to direct them towards receiving grace. It's the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son believed this lie that, you know, um, God will forgive me, but I will never really be welcomed back in. Mm-hmm. I can't be in right relationship with my father again. Yeah. And that's demonic, yeah. right? So we guide the couple towards abounding in grace, right? Yeah. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more, right? So when there's repentance and confession, then we're helping the couple move towards what it actually looks like to rebuild the trust in their relationship. Yeah, yeah. we can never undo what's been done. Right. But we can choose to love each other the way Christ does. Christ knows every fault. Yes. And yet, and yet still loves us, adores us, and has purposed us to do his goodwill. Yeah. 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 And and on a practical level, you know, I I sit with, it might take a a few meetings even at this stage to to walk through and flesh out what does it actually look like um, for you to both live according to scriptures, you know, Ephesians 4 says we're to forgive one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So it's like you not you're not allowed to withhold forgiveness. So it's important for them once, you know, to forgive because they've been forgiven. But then we walk through understanding what it looks like to actually build trust and it looks like mm-hmm. observing the fruit of repentance. You know, so yeah. in that relationship, you need to you, the 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 spouse that has sinned against the other spouse, their their whole goal is to endeavor to rebuild that trust, you know. And so we we kind of create some structure for what that looks like, and mm-hmm. and how the the spouse that's been wounded um, can can heal. And so that mm-hmm. becomes the the that moves us into facilitating, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, which is the last stage? Yeah, tell us tell us about the facilitating because I think that uh, yeah that, that kind of is the culmination of all of the work, whether it be 
three or four meetings mm-hmm. or 15 meetings that you've had, it culminates kind of with this this facilitation part. Yeah, so if we go back to the three stages where there's the investigating, the translating, this is the applicating, mm-hmm. right? So we're, that's, you know, every session we're, we're um, sending them out with something to do, but you kind of move into this last stage where it's like, we're really just creating meaning around what you guys are doing outside of here, mm-hmm. right? And so we're, it's, the, it's the fun part of counseling because now we're getting to disciple couples on how to disciple one another, right? Yeah. So they're learning how to biblically counsel themselves and each other. And we, we want to leave um, the wounds from the past behind. So we, we're not, not tending to the past, yeah. but once we've addressed what's happened so that we can understand the, the theme in their relationship. So typically we have, as individuals, we have a way that we sin, you know, mm-hmm. like, unique yeah. to us. Right. And therefore the relationship also has patterns that we can fall into. Right. So now we're learning what that is, right? Right. We've, we've gone through the confronting. We've, we've seen where you guys have the potential of falling into sin. And now we want to prepare you. So we're facilitating ways for you to, to prepare game plans so that you don't find yourself there again, mm-hmm. which is a lot of fun because there's so much victory to yeah. be had that the wounds have been healed. And now they, you know, they're doing the, the physical therapy and the rehab and that, now they're back on their feet, right? Yeah. Out in the game again. And so they're getting to actually put to practice what they never knew how to do before, right? Yeah, it feels really creative. It's like, um, you know, you and I both garden a little bit. And, and when you're tending to a flower bed and you're weeding it and preparing mm-hmm. it and tilling the ground, and that's all hard work and none of it's very fun necessarily. It's critical. Uh, right. But but once the flowers are growing, you've got a couple seasons and now you're tending the bed and you're watching yeah. it be fruitful and, and it kind of just begins to overtake and fill. And it really does feel, it is fulfilling yeah. to watch that, that phase of, of the work. And I think that's what facilitation is, is you're just reminding them, hey, so you're doing that really well. Uh, don't forget there's some weeds yeah. over here. Yeah. Just be aware of these weeds. But man, it looks like this is really healthy. Yeah, that's, that's a, an, a perfect analogy because when you first get to a garden and it's overgrown, I mean, it's some if it's if it's bad enough, you just want to throw in the towel. It's like this thing mm-hmm. needs to just be completely yeah. dug up. But if you do the work, the hard work of getting in there and pulling out the the thistles and all the stuff that's growing up and choking everything out, then you do start to see fruit, you mm-hmm. know. And and so it really is just about guiding and facilitating and uh, pruning and things like that. That's a lot of fun, and people see so much fruit in their relationship that it. Um, it produces a another cycle in the relationship. Mm-hmm. It's like they get to the point where they're um, instead of self-preservation, they are so about laying down their life for one another, and you know that's like the best kind of relationship. Yeah. They're competing to serve one another, you know, and yeah. So you create it, it is creative. So you're constantly fine-tuning. Like they come in with something, and we fine-tune it a little bit. So you're creating homework for them to practically apply that is unique to their relationship. And it's practical biblical insights that they can apply in their relationship. So you start to see this playing out and you know, you know, once they're, you know, it's like when you're teaching your kid how to ride a bike, it's like, you know, the moment where you're going to just let them go and see what happens. And they, Mm -hmm. maybe they fall and they come back in and you show them again. But at some point they know how to self recover Mm -hmm. and they're on their own throughout doing their thing. So. Yeah. And then you're just talking about how to ride without hands. Yes. 
you know, doing wheelies and stuff. Which is, you know, yeah. when you're in fourth grade, that you know that that's you've really achieved it's everything. Once you can just go without hands. I, my neighbor, I, you probably knew him. Should we say? I could say his name. Yeah, he's probably never. Jabron Kelly. Oh gosh, yeah. Dude could ride uh, standing on the middle bar and the seat no. down the street. Yeah. Which is bizarre because he was six six or six I know. seven. He was or something. huge. It was like yeah. the, it was the coolest thing I've ever seen in fifth grade. So there's some but guys that can like, just do anything. That's right? like a power couple right there. They can do that. Yeah, <laughs> they get yeah. to that place. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're not gonna. Not at all of us are gonna be able to do that. But yeah, yeah, the yeah. Jabron Kelly marriages will do that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, John, this is a, a fun conversation. We only just touched the surface of this yeah. topic. Yeah, there's so much. Um, that you do in the classroom setting that prepares people to do this kind of counseling. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where we want to advocate for the program a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, We do have a a biblical counseling program. We have a a, a department devoted to just teaching people how to do this. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, so in, uh, and at LFBI, if you are our student and you're interested in counseling in any way, or even if just you have, you know, uh, if you're a Bible study leader or, um, you know, this this class is really helpful for anybody who's engaging in relationships. But we have an intro to biblical counseling class. This walks us through the theology of counseling. Um, you and I got to write a book yep. that basically is the, um, you know, the, the text for this. But it walks us through the theology and the philosophy of biblical counseling, what God's word says about um, engaging with those who are opposing themselves. Huge... Um, I mean, for, for me, writing this book, book just helped me get my footing on what this should look like. But the intro class is helpful in just getting an understanding of what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And then we have a series of labs that um, help, you know, with the methodology. Mm-hmm. So in that, we're, you know, we have lab one where we're learning communication tools of what is it, how do, how do we actually sit with people and, and talk to them in a way that helps them guide them through scripture. Uh, then we had a lab two that emphasizes marriage and we go through advanced tools. And in that there's lab breakouts where we're sitting with each other and practicing counseling. What does real counseling relationships look like? And then we're going to be having a lab three at the end of the fall semester Mm -hmm. uh, where we'll be going through uh, specific topics of grief and trauma. So, um, we, I think we're, we have an archived class for yeah, so intro. This, this fall, we will mm-hmm. be offering introduction to biblical counseling, so people will be able to sign up for that. Uh, and then we'll also be offering the, the Lab 3. Yeah. So these, yeah. Come in, these, these classes come up in cycles the way a lot of programs do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try to offer them often enough for it to be beneficial to people. But what we've learned is that people are taking these classes and saying, we should have biblical counseling ministries in our churches. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, the the program is really blossoming, and we're offering more and more content to to meet the needs uh, of different local churches mm-hmm. throughout the, the really throughout the world at this point. Man, I'm I'm excited. Um, the feedback that I'm getting, um, like as it relates to what you just said, um, where people are thinking, "Hey, we need we need to really uh, work on having a counseling ministry." Um, I'm I'm I have the a unique position where. I get to counsel within the church in our counseling ministry, but then I also am a practitioner, you mm-hmm. know. And what I'm hearing um, from the world is they're disenchanted with secular counseling. Mm-hmm. And historically, we know that counseling belongs to the church, right? Yeah. So, you know, if we look back over history, it's like at some point we started referring out during the 
the movement of psychology and mm-hmm. psychiatry and stuff and uh, churches kind of moving towards, and we get into this in the book a little yeah. bit, but churches are moving towards a, a different model, a kind of a, a bigger um, uh, model. And, and so our members were falling through the cracks and we start referring people out, but man, we want to see um, the tides shift there and um, bring people back into the church for uh, them to receive counsel from God's word. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm excited to, yeah. for us to be. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a it. good work yeah. and, and it's only going to continue to grow as the, the school grows. The school just keeps growing semester over semester and more and more people are interested in this topic. And so John, we really appreciate all the hard work that you've done to, to make sure that's sound. And grateful to get yeah. to be a part. Well, thanks for being with me today. And we want to thank you as well, the listener, for hanging out with us for another episode of The Postscript. If any of the things that we've talked about today interest you, please visit lfbi.org. Check out our program of study. Uh, Consider what classes are coming up at the point that you listen to this uh, particular podcast. Uh, We're always offering counseling courses, but we're offering all kinds of theology that's beneficial to the work of counseling. Uh, The better you know the book of Genesis— the better you're going to be at counseling, the better you understand your New Testament, the better you're going to be at counseling. And so uh, we want to encourage you to join us in the program of study. Come get your associate of divinity with us uh, if that's the the heart that you have, or just come take a few classes here or there uh, to, to challenge yourself and to push yourself to greater growth in your walk with the Lord and, and in your ministry leadership. But we love you. We're thankful for the time that you've spent with us today. We hope it was beneficial and that it'll be beneficial to the marriages in your church. But uh, we're grateful for you and we can't wait to see you again next week for another episode of The Postscript. God bless. Please leave us a rating and review in order to help other people find our podcast. If you value this show, please help us continue creating content by supporting Living Faith Bible Institute at lfbi.org support.